Dazed and confused. This is Off the List. Alrighty. We are back, everyone, to the magical land of Off the List, which is a new apartment for Nadira and the same old 2000 Honda Odyssey for Ben. (laughs) (laughs) We do not slander Ellie, okay? Oh Put no, some Ellie on gets, Ellie's name. Ellie gets all the love, but Ellie is also just a 2011 Honda Odyssey. But either way, <laughs> welcome back everyone to Off the List, the podcast where we are crossing off our unknown medias from the list. Yeah. For me, it's movies cuz I don't know them as well. Nadira, music, she doesn't know it as well. Yeah. And we each supply the other option. And this week we will be talking about the artist Fishmans, who are a Japanese dub and jam band, and their live album, 981228. And the iconic stoner movie directed by Richard Linklater, Dazed and Confused. We shall be starting with Fishmans. And I feel like it's important for me to just give a little bit of background on my feelings about jam bands for me. And I have a very like loose liberal definition of a jam band. It's a band that when in a live setting is willing to expand and play their songs out while exploring new ideas. And that can come in a lot of very different ways. It can be an artist in the most like mild sense, just like adding a verse to a song that can be jamming in some type of way. Um, but to me, the more like iconic, the one that everyone thinks about and is easier to identify is when they're playing things that are improvised, that they don't exactly have planned out beforehand. And they are going off of an motif, an idea and playing that through. That is the most like general, baseline definition that I can find and I identify with. I know that a lot of people like to identify it sometimes more with the culture, but I think that when you add in the culture, sometimes you leave out a band like Fishman's, for example, Mm. as someone with a history in jazz music, I studied jazz in college and I played it all through high school. Oftentimes I viewed jam bands as just far less interesting improvisation compared to what most jazz musicians were doing. Mm-hmm. And in retrospect, I don't think that's very fair. It's just the opinion that I held when I was a lot younger. And to be fair, a lot of the cultural aspects of American jam bands, like the kind of stoner aspect and the counterculture movement and a lot of it being born out of these people just kind of throwing away their privileges, very like Mad men style to go and just like live in a commune. Like none of that was very interesting or attractive to me. So I never had any reason to really dig into the music that surrounded it and find a reason to like it. This live album from Fishmen's gave me music that I could then identify as a reason why jamming has purpose. Mm. And for me, that's why I gave it to you. Because I think this live album is, if you are not already into jam band culture, 
the best chance of understanding the point of a jam band. So I can give a little bit of background as well on Fishman's before I ask you how to feel on it, because that is the album we're talking about. Now that I'm off of my own little personal you know, soapbox there talking about jam bands. It's okay. I think your personal soapbox is awesome. <laughs> and it's that Fishman's were a Japanese dub band, dub slash jam. And the dub comes from a really heavy reggae inspiration that they have in their music, yeah. which I'm sure you picked up it's on. Very clear. Yeah. Very clear. Listening to it. And the band is composed of three members that all met in college and I did my best looking up the names to pronounce them correctly, so hopefully I get these right. It was Shinji Sato, who is the main leader. He's the guy who you hear singing over everything. The drummer is Kenichi Motiche. Um, and then the guitarist slash bassist is Kinsuga Uchea. And the three of them met in college, and they got this really big cult following in Tokyo performing their music. And they started venturing more and more into jam. And then they released their album Long Seasons, which was a fan favorite. Not super popular. They released this live album, which they recorded because the bassist was deciding to leave the band. And then, tragically, three months after this album was recorded or the live show happened, Sato actually died of a heart attack. So this is the last that even exists of Fishman because the band was breaking up for any other reasons and then unfortunately sato passed away and they kind of fell into what i would call like japanese hipster obscurity where if you were really in the know about tokyo music then you might hear about them but otherwise no one really knew until in around 2014 the website rate your music exploded this album's popularity it's actually a highest rated live album on their website and the song long season off of this album is the highest rated song on rate your music so it has gotten a second life in the internet era where people now appreciate this band in a completely new way and i guess with all of that said nadira not only like what do you think about this album but what did you think about jam bands coming in and did this potentially change your mind on it because we did talk about that a little bit beforehand so yeah good question good question all around um all right so was never the biggest fan of jam bands but to be honest the truer statement is was never the biggest fan of jam band culture Mm -hmm. um which you know also not the biggest fan of jam bands like I appreciate the dedication that fans have to the Grateful Dead, but I think I listened to a few songs and was like, "Uh, I don't get it. And then that kind of, you know, snowballs from there on out. Um, But I really liked this album. I don't think it changes my opinion on jam bands as a whole. Mm. I think I just like this jam band. (laughs) Ooh, okay. I like that opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yeah, so I mean if we want to talk about what it's giving. Mm-hmm. So it was it was very hard to talk about what it was giving for me um because I could hear so many different elements I liked in it. Um and then I kind of didn't want to like stay in the same like folk whatever realm. But um 
I settled on. <laughs> it's giving. Um, so that guy in high school who, you know, wears the drug rug or also known as a Baja sweater <laughs> and likes to skateboard. But if he was actually 35 and well-traveled and cultured. Oh. And I feel like the older and well-traveled and cultured is what I really liked about this album, which is not something that you get with most jam bands and certainly not something you get with American jam band culture. And so that's why I say, I think I specifically like this jam band or even just this album. I haven't heard anything else from them compared to jam bands as a whole. So I don't think it fully changed my mind on anything, but I did really enjoy it again. Not something that I really, really sunk my teeth into you know, I don't think there was a particular song that I liked. Um, I just really liked the vibe overall. You know, this is like a very relaxing, chill album to me. Something that you could put on while having conversations with other people, um, while doing other things. That kind of gives you an, a, a vibe that is just like comforting, relaxing, chill. And I think that there's always a space to me anyway, and music for that. But it doesn't have the sort of annoying qualities to me mm-hmm. that jam bands usually have. And I, I do have to say that um, the one sort of like specific thing that jumped out was um, when I first listened to the album, I was like, oh, Ben assigned me a long album again because I saw that it was two hours long. And then I was like looking at the songs and I was like, how is this album two hours long? And then I finally saw long season. It was like, oh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, oh. <laughs> it all, it all links up with that final song. I honestly considered, and I'm not even joking. I honestly considered just assigning you that song. Yeah. I can see why it is a sort of entire musical experience on its own. I think yeah yeah the in that album or that last song long season is really where they flex their muscles as a jam band and they really make you understand the whole kind of jam band point for me because i just thought similar to you that it was just a really pretty album up to that point Mm -hmm. but when i heard them jam off of that song it's when the whole kind of jam band culture clicked for me in a really big way. The idea that for so long I had understood improving and jamming, because I think you could argue that a lot of jazz music is jamming. It's literally called jam sessions. Yeah. It the you know, as a as a musician you're taught to tell a story. You're taught to bring your listener somewhere. But they are insistent upon this idea not necessarily of where you're going but really focusing in on the motif that is currently happening and that was really what struck me about their jamming and what really opened up the concept of a jam band to me is that they would enter this motif of the song and instead of a jazz musician where they would just enter it exit it and use it to go somewhere else they would enter it and they would say no i want to sit here I want to explore everything that this really means. And then they would explore it so thoroughly for like eight minutes where they're just using the same chord progression or the same idea with just the slightest alterations until eventually, finally, they release it as soon as they feel like they've gotten everything. 
and they move on to something else. And it really made me as a musician understand, oh, okay, jamming and this kind of improving can have a much more meditative aspect to it. It's an idea of not necessarily, I have to bring the listener somewhere, but let's make the listener appreciate where we are right now. Right. Right. No, and I, I like that idea. I really do. I just wonder where that gets lost in translation with the other jam bands that you and I both have not so successfully been drawn to. I think that most of it, honestly, now that I've actually sat down and listened to more Grateful Dead, more Fish, more mm-hmm. things like that, I think honestly most of it does have to do with the culture that surrounds it and the fact that even sometimes they don't appreciate that kind of space for meditation very well um, where the jam almost feels like part of the stick and not the point. Right. Like I think like a fish will oftentimes just kind of, like I said, make fun of the fact that they're jamming more than really ask like, what am I musically doing here? Whereas with Fishman's everything feels so, especially on this last album, because it's the last live show they're ever playing together. It just feels so sacred to them. Like every moment to them feels like they're fully embracing it because they know that it won't last from this. Yeah, man. I like this. Kind of hard for me to talk about because it's hard to like do anything except say the word vibe over and over again. But yeah. it's, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And I. But that, that's the point, though, you know? It's like, yeah, yeah, like, sorry to cut you off, just, but like, that, like, if you have a 40 minute long song. And you're not saying something. You're asking the listener to vibe. Right. So I don't think that they would be feel feel particularly offended that you're like, oh, I was vibing out to it. Like, that's what they want. They want right. you to enter that meditative space. And they do it in such a way where you're not thinking about, like, all of the crusty white people in the audience who have trust funds. You're thinking about how good the music <laughs> is. Right. I do. My last little comment about it is I really appreciated the strength of the dub roots. And then it just got me ruminating on Mm -hmm. how black people really did create everything. But that's a conversation for a different day. (laughs) I feel like it's so funny because every single podcast, I mean, like, I fully agree with you. You know, I fully agree with you. But it's just so funny because every single podcast has the line like, oh, you know, black people started it. But that's a conversation for another (laughs) podcast. And we just like keep pushing it off and off. (laughs) I see. I'm, I'm going to see how I can fit it into our one year discussion when we talk about Phoebe Bridgers. I'm going to see how I can work in black people created this <laughs> into that. Episode. Oh, man, that's going to be an interesting conversation. My that's going to be a hard goal. album. <laughs> OK, I think yeah. it's time to move on um, from the vibes mm-hmm. to, yeah. honestly, another vibe. Um, so yeah. the film that I assigned Ben to watch is the 1993 film Days and Confused. Um, it is, it was released in 1993, but is actually set in 1976 in Texas. It was directed and written by Richard Linklater, who you may also know as directing and or as having directed and written films such as Boyhood, the Before trilogy, um, and he also Whoa. directed School. Wait, he was the Boyhood director. That's so weird. Yeah, that's such a different movie than this yes and that's why i bring it up because it is very different whereas boyhood and the before trilogy are very similar in that they are movies that take place over an actual realistic long period of time and yeah that's the reason why i 
brought up his <laughs> his other films because this film is so different from those. Um, it is a cult classic. Um, it follows um, a wide... It's it's a large ensemble cast, so it follows a wide mm-hmm. range of different groups on their last day of school. Um, for half of them, they are juniors turning into seniors. And then for the other small, well, more than half of them are that way. And then for another small portion, it's um, people who, it's kids who will be freshmen going into high school. So it's got a whole bunch of coming of age themes to it. Um, I do consider it a coming of age comedy cult film, I guess. Um, And it also surprisingly has a very large amount of future Hollywood stars and like well-known actors in it. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's it's like a a who's who they just show up out of nowhere out of nowhere so it's got the first movie that matthew mcconaughey was ever in which we talked about last episode it's got joey lauren adams who i mostly know from the adam sandler movie big daddy but you know she's been in other things it's got a young ben affleck (laughs) a young anthony rapp a young mila jovovich a young renee zellweger who doesn't have a speaking part but can be found in it a young parker posey adam goldberg like and the list goes on and on and on and on so really impressive from that standpoint alone um the title of the film is actually taken from a Led Zeppelin cover. So I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, I thought that that was just a piece of interesting information. It has nothing to do with anything. Um, and yeah, it was a cult classic flopped at the box office, actually got pretty okay reviews, um, but is now considered one of the best high school films and stoner films. And I do consider it a stoner film, even though it's not ex- Explicitly about smoking weed the way other stoner films are. Yeah, the the weed kind of felt more like an important part of the journey for the characters rather than like the the main butt of the joke. So I would I would right. agree. It still felt like a stoner film to me. Right, just a smarter one, I think. Um, but mm. yeah, so that was a pretty long rundown that I could have made shorter, but whatever. Um, ben, <laughs> what did you think about Dazed and Confused? So, I think that objectively i can understand like when a movie is iconic and like set the bar for a genre or like a theme or an idea and watching this i instantly just kept seeing like so many you know like high school things i'd seen before there were so many scenes that i had not realized i had seen before but i actually had because Mm. it's just like one of those movies where the quotes permeate the ideas permeate. And so there were tons of things that I was familiar with surprisingly. And I guess that my like biggest problem with the movie is like a very personal thing, which is just that like, I don't really like movies about high school. Mm -hmm. So I just found like the characters really annoying, like nine times out of 10 they were talking. Cause I think high schoolers are annoying. Like I know (laughs) I was annoying when I was in high school. And so For me, I thought I was going to be way more annoyed at this movie than I was because it started out and I was just like, these characters are just annoying. And like the hazing was annoying and like all that stuff. But it is redeemed by just how like fucking funny some of the scenes are. And like I can recognize that what they did here was really smart, really clever, and 
also just really funny. Like it, and it felt like a little bit of kind of a shooting star moment where if all the actors hadn't just given such a good performance, I probably would have just like hated it. Right. Like all the puzzle pieces really did click into place. Yeah. But because every single puzzle piece clicked into place, I'm like, all right, like I couldn't even pick a favorite scene because everyone with Matthew McConaughey was just my favorite because his character is just like so, so funny. Like the introduction of his character and every line he says from that point forward, like it's just like one of the best like written characters I've ever seen in like a stoner movie. And I think that's the appropriate take. I, as someone who loves high school films, um, I love this movie, but I mostly love this movie, not because it's about high school, but just because it's so fucking funny. Like, yeah, it's so, listen, the line, (laughs) Martha Washington was a hip, hip, hip lady, man is enough to make me, Like, if you put that in a movie, it's one of my favorite movies. You know what I mean? And there's so Mm -hmm. many great one-liners. And what I really love about the film is that it's so self-aware in a way. Because it's set in the 70s, but was actually made in the 90s, it has this great ability to be self-aware. So it includes characters that are asking the questions you're asking yourself. So Anthony Rapp and Adam Goldberg, to me, are like the unsung heroes of this film because Mm -hmm. when they're hazing, and the hazing is horrible, and I'm like, I don't, this part to me, the physicality of it isn't actually funny. But when you have characters who are sitting on the side, like, why has the entire town seemingly condoned this, you know? Yeah. Then it's funny. Oh, it's what happens to the freshmen. Kind of every time the movie goes off the rails, puts it kind of back into frame. And just Mm -hmm. everyone is such a hilarious, like, stereotype of what you expect these people to be. And I, I really loved that everyone just played their character so well. And like even the stoner guy Slater who says the Martha Washington line, you would think like he's so on the verge of being so annoying, but then he always says something so funny and you're like, oh man, I can't be annoyed at this guy. And like Matthew McConaughey is just like iconic. It's just, it's every, like you said, every piece comes together to make a movie that is so funny, even down to... I think the the movie starts off with a there's that one teacher and she's like remember while you guys are going off to celebrate July 4th yeah. that you're yeah, actually yeah, celebrating yeah, a holiday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's like it was easily the when she like pat the head of that like yes. one dude. Like easily one of my favorite mo- moments from the movie cuz the movie has like so many cool characters like that who like like you said bring you back in. Because if every character was just like as obnoxious and annoying, you just wouldn't be able to handle it. But then you have a character do something like that, and you're like, okay, the the director's like, no, right, right. And I I, th- I think it's just smart. I think it's just smart. Another small thing I wanted to point out that I really appreciated about the film, watching it this time, because I saw it quite a few times in my senior year of high school because my friend had found it, and it was just our favorite that like we ended up quoting back to each other like whose bowling ball is this it's yours man over and over again (laughs) (laughs) another small moment that i really appreciated was um some of these characters also have really real conversations so pink who again hilarious his last name is floyd so his nickname is pink um pink who Mm -hmm. is the one of the main characters i'd say 
throughout the film who's trying to decide whether he's going to sign this slip that was given to him from his football coach that says like I will basically not imbibe or take part in any contraband like any drugs or alcohol or whatever um, and I will be kind of a straight edge athlete Um, and he's trying to decide whether he wants to sign this thing or not he thinks it's oppressive and he thinks it's dumb and stupid throughout the entire film all of his friends are kind of like yeah man like it's dumb but just sign it like it's whatever now let's go like beat up some mailboxes but he does have this one honest conversation with his one friend in the car that's like you know this is important you're not the only person this is a team you can't let down the team like and I think that you should actually sign it and take it seriously and this is the same friend who like rides around with them beating up freshmen right but the duality in it and to see this character partake in an actual serious conversation I just found to be another like the movie just goes in so many places you don't think it'll go and that's another one that just really intrigued me yeah it kind of reminds me a lot of how honestly talking with a high schooler can be where when they say something profound like it's very unexpected but you are remembering like how mature they can be in those moments. Like, even if there's a lot of contradiction in their actions and what they might say, like they still are smart enough to process and say something that is like as profound as that. So I, I liked when the movie would do that too. I mean, the, I, the most clear example to me is just the scene where they're on the football field yeah. and they're talking about like, I want this to be that I lived my best time while I was stuck here. And I think that that is a great message, honestly, like unironically, I think that's a great message for kids to hear like about high school, even if you might have joked about like trying to have sex with as many women as possible. Like, yeah, the concept that like because it's true that as a kid, you're kind of stuck like wherever you are. So it's a very apt observation to say, like, I want to be known as just the person who did the most while I was stuck here. Yeah. And I think that's how a lot of um sort of like teenage male conversations that I've overheard anyway go where it's like I say something really deep that I actually mean but then I sort of have to like end it with a joke or like backtrack it you know and it's Mm -hmm. like being able to um sort of understand where that delineation is but no I loved I mean the whole scene on the football field is just great I love Mitch I love his character I love him just sort of being in awe of everything that's going on around him yeah yeah and I'll really relate this back to like Mitch and his character because I think that his innocence or like coming of age is so vital to this movie working and to me the moment where they're destroying the trash cans and then he just like absolutely goes way overboard and like smashes the fuck out of the back of that person's like car car um windshield. Yeah. That to me just felt so honest and, it, and honest in a way that I related to because of how when you're trying to fit in, you just go for it and then you just completely flub it. But then everyone is like, oh my God, you just like, completely flubbed it and it becomes like the flub that is actually the thing that ingratiates you yeah to me that was the most endearing moment of the whole movie like Mitch is absolutely like not getting it and completely messing up and causing like a a way too much property damage but it doesn't matter because 
what he's actually done is just ingratiated himself into this group that, you know, has kind of, he's felt like an outsider to prior to that moment. Um, that just felt like very accurate to like my high school experience. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. I think in this film, because it's such a wide cast, I would say that Mitch is the coming of age story, of course, but I actually think that pink is the lead character. And I think that Mm -hmm. splitting it up that way is really fun just sort of gives you opportunity and room to explore so many different things than you would normally because generally the lead character is a character who like has a the big decision to make right and while Mitch definitely changes and doesn't stay the same there's something a lot less weighted like there's a lot less stakes seemingly to his arc in his storyline than there are to pink storyline and so to me i really read it as mitch as the coming of age story but pink as sort of the protagonist in a way and i just think that Mm -hmm. that's so much more fun you know to like split up those two roles it just gives you so much more room to work with and mitch is just so i loved seeing their interactions through mitch's eyes like to me that was just so much fun um Mm -hmm. and it was so much less stressful you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah I just really love this movie it's really funny I'm glad that you were able to appreciate it even though it's not your type of film um and yeah it just it's just I feel like it's hard to actually hate this movie even though on its Mm -hmm. face there's a lot of things to hate about it right like hazing isn't cool the way they talk about women isn't cool like there's a lot of stuff that isn't cool but the movie is cool and I think that that is impressive enough on its own. Yes. I I fully, I think that's the perfect way to summarize it. I don't even want to say anything else because that's exactly how I feel. Like There's so many things that shouldn't be cool, but like, it's still cool. So yeah, I think that that wraps it up. Should we talk about next episode? Yeah, definitely. I, I will say this. Nadir, you, you gave <laughs> me that trailer and it was so funny because you were like, good luck figuring out what the fuck you're going to make me listen to with this shit. But, like, instantly, I knew the band. It took me, like, a nanosecond after watching the trailer. I instantly knew the band I was going to give you. So, it actually was not as hard as you thought it was going to be. That's great. I don't... I wonder how much that will stay the same. (laughs) Um, So, just to explain Mm -hmm. to everyone what's going on here. This time, instead of Ben sending me a sample song or telling me, like, general genre description of a band and me choosing a film, I sent him a trailer for a film and told him to choose an album slash artist based on that trailer. And so that's the first time we're doing this. And I mm-hmm. think it'll be really interesting. Okay, so the film is The Handmaiden. It's um, a 2016 film. So it's actually one of the more recent films of the films we've done. Um, it is a Korean film. It was directed and written, I believe, by Park Chan-wook. And he's also known for doing some other... Um, really well-known, um, critically acclaimed Korean films. I'm not going to say anything else about it. I think if you're going to watch it, watch it and don't look a single thing up because it could all, from tone to actual plot to just like every aspect of the film, there's a potential spoiler. So 
-hmm. I would say just like go into it just totally open-minded and totally just like ready for whatever okay fantastic and I'm glad that I didn't look anything up in an attempt to figure out which album but you sent me the trailer and I watched it and immediately I'm not gonna lie I was the first just emotional response was just a very visceral uncanny valley and a very visceral like I am really looking forward to this but really scared of what is (laughs) happening because I don't know what's going on and instantly the band that came to my head was Shushu which is an American experimental duo who the two of them are just it is so impossible to categorize the type of music that these two musicians make it is it's just because it, it they always are just going in like completely different ways but and that made it difficult to pick the album but the album that i have decided you're going to listen to is one of their covers albums shushu is really famous for doing covers album albums excuse me they've done a covers album of twin peaks music they've oh, yeah. done covers albums of like rock artists but the one that you're going to be listening to is their 2012 effort nina which is a nina simone cover album interesting interesting i similarly with the handmaiden please do not look up anything about this you can like look up the song titles and potentially listen to the nina versions and then listen to this album if you want to but just turn it on and allow them to do what they do because there is potentially not a more divisive album that I've given you than this one. Yeah. I feel like I'm already potentially, I'm trying so hard not to form opinions about it right now without having heard it because that's not fair. But I do have strong opinions on the usage of because it's a Nina Simone, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just the way she's mm-hmm. generally like used and ab- abused, frankly, in the sort mm-hmm. of current pop sphere. But anyway, um, I'm excited for this. I think it could potentially work. Not gonna lie, I also might also I also might also mm-hmm. I might also <laughs> listen to the Twin Peaks cover as well because that oh that it's just that album's also spectacular it's really really me. good but yeah i'm excited for this and i'm assuming it's spelled x-i-u-x-i-u right like we're yeah okay yeah. shushu x-i-u-x-i-u and then the album is just nina it's just titled nina okay great 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 mm-hmm. and they are a yeah i just i'm really i it's hard to put into words but i think that this is my favorite album to show people and it, it really is not something I do very often because it is a very, very, very particular album. Yeah. But there is just so much going on in what they do and how they view and interpret what a covers album is. It's just such an interesting album from one of, in my opinion, the most essential bands in the past 30 years. So I... I'm really looking forward to hear your thoughts on it. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, this is great. Hopefully next episode I will be in an actual bed. Um, 
<laughs> and mm-hmm. I won't be sick. Um, so <laughs> let's pray for that. Um, but yeah, no, this has been off the list. I can say that that is Fishman's 98, 12, 28. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah the, the, it's, a, it's so weird when it's a live album and it's like, oh, it's just the date it was recorded. <laughs> and Dazed and Confused, firmly off the list, should also be off of your list, going to say both classics, both giving you interesting things. And I also think they fit well together. So, you yeah, know. they feel they feel like the very tasteful touches on something that normally you shouldn't like. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. And with that, we're going to end because that was perfect. <laughs> All right. Bye. See you, everyone, for bye. a much creepier episode next week. From Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> that should be the closer of everyone. Off the List is made by Ben and me, Nadira. Our artwork is by Rebecca Pearson, and our music is by Cedric Hawkeyes. 